Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. This is Real Science Radio. I'm Fred Williams. And I'm Doug McBurney, Bible student, amateur comedian. Fred, it is great to be back with you here in the new year, talking about real science on Friday. Yes, and this week we plan to give our listeners an update on artificial intelligence. There's this AI craze going on. But Doug, before we dive into this, I wanted to do our interesting fact of the week. Are you ready? That's what I need. I I need it, Fred. I need one. Please help me. So, which famous scientist of the past invented the first humanoid mechanical knight? Knight as in... 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. or night as in a guy with a metal, a metal suit on? As in Excalibur. So I would have to say, obviously, Einstein. He's my default answer for all scientists. Okay. <laughs> so I'll give you a clue. He was a painter also. We, da Vinci. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. So, Doug, before, All right. actually, and before we get started, I wanted to remind everybody that January is Telethon Month. We're trying to raise $25,000, which will be primarily used for our video podcasting for both the Domain Yard Show and Real Science Radio. This is a huge opportunity because video podcasting is super popular and will reach a ton of people and so many of who have never heard the creation message and as one of the goals of Real Science Radio is to get that creation message out there because we know how fundamental it is to the gospel. So if you can, go to rsr.org slash store and make a one-time donation, buy one of our wonderful products. There's so many to choose from. You can sponsor a show. So many different ways you can help Real Science Radio and the Dominic Inyard Show as we try to improve our media video footprint on the Internet. Okay. That's right. It's like I said in a, in a previous show, Fred, it's very difficult these days to reach people by accident. In the old days, I found Bob Inyard Live by scrolling through channels on my TV. I found him by accident. There he was. Very difficult to do that. Now you need a strategy. You need a media team. People that you have to hire in order to find ways to get through to a broader audience. And so, by the way, if you want to help with 10% of the total today, I know there's at least two, three people I can think of off the top of my head who could help do 10% today. $2,500. Do that for today's show, and then we'll announce it when we do our telethon totals in upcoming shows as we go through the month so by the way da vinci thank you but da vinci is my default answer for all painters and so i had a pretty good shot at getting that right but before we before we get into the discussion of artificial intelligence i was on webster's 1828 which is my favorite dictionary i feel like the english language has devolved 
Uh, it fell off a cliff starting in about 1828, and so I always use Mr. Webster's 1828 dictionary. And I just want to remind the audience that the word artificial comes from the word artifice. Artificial is defined as contrived by art or by human skill or labor. Artifice, which comes from artificial, is an artful or ingenious device in a good or bad sense. In a bad sense, Mr. Webster says, it corresponds with a trick or fraud. And artifice is the opposite of edifice. Edifice is a building or a structure that's typically large or splendid. And from edifice, we get the word edify, which Mr. Webster defines as to instruct and improve the mind and knowledge generally and particularly in moral and religious knowledge. Quote, in faith and holiness, edify one another. First Thessalonians 5.11. Another reason I love to use Mr. Webster's 1828 is almost every word definition includes a Bible verse. So there you go. There's artificial. Keep that all in mind. And by the way, remember, when the Lord asked for a sacrifice from believers, He said you may not offer a sacrifice on any stone that you have cut. It has to be just a round, regular stone that you pull out of the earth. God didn't want anyone to build an artifice. So let's get into artificial intelligence and for that, we're going to do an AI update. We did it, I think, back in March. Was it? Has it been that long, Fred? It has been. Last March with wow. Daniel Hedrick. And so, Daniel, welcome back to the Real Science Radio studios. Mr. Daniel Hedrick and the audience went wild. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know, it has been quite some time since we talked, and I... I'm blown away, as you should be also, and, and how much has changed with artificial intelligence in over eight months, nine months. It really is a radical change forward, and uh, I look forward to discussing uh, of quite a bit of detail. We'll get into to a lot of different things, you know, like basically what's been going on with AI. and There's so much going on that it's really almost impossible to, to keep up with it all. I listen to, quote, as many of the AI experts as I can possibly take the time to, to focus on. And so there's going to be things where we miss and things that we're not going to talk about, like Q. Uh, would probably be a waste of time if you've heard anything about Q. It's when Sam Altman got let go and then like, oh, yes, there's something evil going on in the back empire. And it turned out to probably not be the case. So there's a lot of waste of time, let's say. But for me, what I'm noticing is the good and the bad and the ugly of AI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, There's that's plenty exactly of all right. that. I, I just saw, I just, I just, as I was scrolling through the internet this morning, I saw that there's going to be an AI Elvis concert coming up possibly this year. For whatever that's worth, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, you know, listen, I've actually been thinking about that. Can you imagine if we took everything that Bob Enyart ever wrote and everything he's ever done on video, this is within our grasp, you know, even at Real Science Radio, to be able to take all that work and bring Bob back. You know, that was kind of a phrase that I liked saying last year was I like listening to his voice. And wouldn't it be amazing if you were to ask him a particular issue today about what's going on in the world right now and to hear Bob Yanyart come back? 
Now, I don't know what you guys think of that, but it certainly would be interesting. And all the people that are part of the AI movement recognize, like Jordan Peterson, although he's not in the AI movement, he is has this project underway where he is going to take in all the work that he's ever done so that if someone asks a, a Jordan Peter question uh, about something in the future, he would actually be responding to it today. Yeah, it's amazing where it's heading. So, Daniel, what is the very latest since we last visited in March on artificial intelligence? Well, sure, there's so much, and I definitely like to call it the fog of AI because there is so much going on. And if you remember the last time we talked, we talked quite a bit about chat GPT. If you remember, we talked about prompt engineering. Yep. And one of my favorite words is the term perplexity. And uh, basically, you create a, a, a question, you ask a question of chat GPT, and then you just say, increase the amount of perplexity. And when you do that, you end up getting you know, we maybe we ought to talk about transformers and, and get a, a, about why the next word that shows up in a chat GPT request requires perplexity. We also talked, if you remember, we also talked about the difference between the human brain and chat GPT and the huge difference in power consumption and capabilities. Obviously, our single brain doesn't have access to the whole, you know, all of the internet. Uh, but isn't it interesting that I think a child, uh, like a toddler, has maybe between 3,000, that's a lot of words, right, between three and 5,000 words, and then by, by the time you become a mature adult, you know, you're lucky if you have 20 or 25,000 words in your recall. So with just that few number of words, we're able to take on uh, pretty much any task. You can throw a brand new task at a toddler and the toddler may have never seen the tools, let's say, before them. Whereas when it comes to ChatGPT, they have the entire internet. And if you think about that from a performance perspective, do they do better because they have more or do we do better because we have less? Interesting. Yeah. You know, since our show, Daniel, I use ChatGPT here and there. And you were right about how you ask the question and how, you know, you can get different answers. I gave an example in the Hydroplate conference of a question I asked it related to plate tectonics. And it was real interesting, the response and how I, I could almost coach it a certain way and how it admitted it was wrong once. Right, right. Isn't it funny when it comes like, oh, I'm so sorry that I, you know, misunderstood the question or, or, you're, or he'll say, you're right. Like I've explained something to the system and it'll come back and say, you're right, I'll remember. And of course he doesn't remember. And we certainly do and should talk about ChatPT a little bit more because, I mean, I don't know, what I've been thinking out loud myself is, imagine if eight out of the 10 times you ask it, it's correct, but two of the times it's not. Well, how am I gonna know when those two times is incorrect? right? Yep. And that's actually one of the things I was going to bring up a, a little bit later. Let me bring it up now. Have you ever heard of Hans Gelman? It's called Hans Gelman amnesia. Have you ever heard of that phrase? Ham nails. No, I have. I don't think I have. Huh. Yeah. Hans Gelman. Yeah. So the idea is this. Imagine if you're reading through a New York Times or you know any other article whatsoever, and you happen to be the expert in that particular field again, whatever it is. So maybe when we're paying attention to science-based articles and you're going through and you're reading it, 
you're going, wait, that's not right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not right. That's that that that's contrived. That is no way that's true. And you just sit there going over and over like, oh my gosh, that's amazingly wrong. And then you flip the page to second page of the Wall Street Journal or whatever, and you see an entire article, let's say on finance or insurance or something else, and you read it and you come to the conclusion that it's all true. Right? Sure, but that's you just got done yeah. reading it another article and you're like wait that's all wrong <laughs> why so, so we kind of have a default to take people at their word and to believe what we're being told right especially when you're not in the realm or or you know that's not an area of interest that you have knowledge in right, right. Yeah. so the reason why i bring it up from a hans gelman perspective is we blind ourselves we literally expect and i i'm sure you've heard the phrase tyranny of the experts <laughs> right yeah. right and yeah. oh what a what a beautiful phrase right because now we can see that the experts are maybe the least educated in the room and you know i think you comment yourself quite often about how you know you're just the the a man trying to learn and understand what a, a doctorate's world is like you know being the man in the middle so to speak uh, sure. and being able to translate these complex things into something easier you know so that anybody can understand yeah, so now if you think about hallucinations... Okay, wait, before we get to hallucinations, so that's the Hans Gelman... Hans uh, Gelman amnesia. Hans Gelman amnesia, amnesia is, that, is that tendency to believe things that we're not expert in are true when we read them. Okay, that's I just exactly want to be clear. Right. Yeah, wow. And then when you are the expert and you read these articles and <laughs> you're rolling the, your eyes in the back of your head, you're just like, this doesn't make any sense. How could they publish this? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I mean, I find it like, I mean, I know for certain that any time we read about the age of anything or the word evolution, I usually roll my eyes. And when I've raised my kids, I always say every time you hear the word evolution, Within moments, you're going to hear the word millions and billions. Yeah. Like, it won't even take two seconds before that happens. And so just let it be a filter because I don't want you to not listen to it, but I want you to realize that that is something they're pushing forward. And we're sitting there going, wait a minute, what about dinosaur DNA? You know, have you even thought about the half-life? You know, what I've usually say, and if you don't mind to go backwards to go forward, is how is it possible for us to know that the half-life of DNA in a dinosaur bone is 521 years if we don't have a dinosaur bone with DNA in it so that we could measure it to be 521 uh -huh. years. Yeah, good question. You know? yeah. It's like I'm pretty sure we have to have one of those, right? Right. And, of course, I know that you know that we have many, many, many more than that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's Hens Gelman. And what do you think? I mean, I, I was trying to reveal it that we've had this as a problem from a mental perspective ourselves. And now we have a different system, right? ChatGPT, large language models, going through these transformers and confidently lying. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, there, there is some overlap here. And, and what is the solution? I actually am trying to, and I do plan on presenting a solution. But what are your thoughts? Well, I, I was just going to, speaking about bring Bob back, I was just going to, you reminded me of something Bob said when, a few years ago when the debate was self-driving cars. Who's going to solve the problem of what the car does when it's in a situation when there's a, a life at stake and a, and a potentially moral 
decision that has to be made. And the only solution, and it's an imperfect solution because we're imperfect fallen humans, but the only solution is that godly men who fear God and know the Scripture are in positions of authority to make decisions about how that's designed. That's right. That's probably the best protection we have. And I'm not sure that's happening over at Chat. GPT, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's it's not. I mean, they actually have a safety team. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah. I don't know if you heard, but the safety team got let go. <laughs> so it's yeah. like I'm not sure what to think about that. Now, but maybe before we get too deep into hallucinations, because I definitely want to talk a lot more about it, if you don't mind. But do you also remember Organoids? Yes. Oh, yeah. Nice show. Yeah. So, yeah, remember, organoids can be basically various organs besides the brain, uh, but we talked a little bit about the brain organoids and what I think are they're simply little teeny mini brains. And you ready for this? They actually build a neural network, and they're built off of adult stem cells, which is pretty neat, I guess. I mean, you get a series of all these uh, neurons just sitting in a puddle, Right. And then the next thing you know, they automatically build a neural network. It's pretty, pretty powerful, and they're called neurological nets. Hmm. So is this kind of like wow. uh, a cyborg? or? Uh... It's the very, very beginning stage, I suppose, of a cyborg. I mean, the whole point of the, the task is the ability to do these computations that require neural networks, but to do it at a significantly reduced amount of power because apparently the organ-based or organic-based capabilities are superior, especially when it comes to energy consumption. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's pretty powerful. I mean, it's, it looks really, really cool. It looks, I guess, pretty scary, too, if you think about it. Yeah. But the way this guy talked about it, or this woman, Madeline Lancaster, she said, this is the stuff that thoughts are made of. So Whoa. they literally think that they're making thoughts. I guess mm-hmm. you could say that. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I wouldn't call it consciousness, though, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, it's information that wow. has no mass, and it's just the network. It's the material. So they're using adult stem cells. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. right. And then they're just going to continue to grow. I think uh, there's Feng Guo, of the Associate Professor of Intelligence Systems Engineering at the Luddy School of Informatics. They are developing or trying to overcome limitations that artificial intelligence computers have by putting it into a biological system. And it's hybrid computing. And uh, that's called brain aware. So, you know, clearly this rush to the middle, I think we've heard it called the, uh, the singularity. And the singularity is which is going to be first? Is the human going to become the computer or is the computer going to become the human? And, of course, everything in between would be the hybrid. Well, you know, it makes sense to pursue an organic or an organ-based system because I remember when I first started trying to lose weight, I found out that a calorie that we think of when we're eating cookies is actually only a thousandth of a calorie as measured in Newtonian physics. A, a, A calorie... Newtonian. What we use is tiny compared to what machines use. That's correct. Wow. So it makes sense that it would go this route. Fascinating. Yep. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I think we probably expected to try to mimic brain function, but I also think that as we just keep stepping through this, 
I don't know if you guys feel more and more compelled to believe that AGI is right around the corner, you know, artificial general intelligence, and that's the, the notion of a computer being able to have, remember we talked about this a little while ago where a toddler with a very small amount of, or a smaller dictionary, let's say, to deal with the world is able to attack lots of little goals, goals that they are unfamiliar with. So the whole point is that AGI, from a computer-based model system is that you put a task in front of it that it's never known and it's able to successfully do that. Now what we are finding out with artificial intelligence is when you throw a lot of data at something, I don't know if you've heard this before, but if you don't ask the question of the large language models like ChatGPT, mm -hmm. if you don't ask it the questions then you're not going to know what it knows. So in this example there was a, and I, I didn't nailed down the details for this particular presentation, but the gist of the story is 100% true. What the guy did is he started asking it questions from a chemistry perspective, and more specifically, how can I make the food in my refrigerator last longer? And he wanted to understand the chemical reactions and how cold it needs to be and all that. And it gave him a fairly decent solution. And then he was sitting there just thinking, is, well, what would happen if I did the negative of that? Huh. Oh, you mean how to make food more toxic? Yep. Yeah. And so he did that, and the next thing you know, he was able to create botulism in his own refrigerator. So it's like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> you know? So, and what they were saying is that they didn't expect that ChatGPT would be able to answer these chemistry-based questions because we didn't train it to do chemistry-based questions. But the data was in there, and that's the key is the underlying expertise of all of these systems are in what are called transformers. So the transformers, I hope you don't mind me bouncing around a little bit here, the transformers can be used with any language. It doesn't matter what it is. So if you think about it, if you take a picture or if you take a recording, video, anything, and you look at it and in your own brain you're like, oh, well that's my kids going swimming, throwing a ball back and forth in the winter time. It's like, oh, right, I just described that. How did I do that? I described it with words. Well, guess what happens? If I describe exactly the words I just spoke to you right now, I could put that into mid-journey, and the next thing you know, it will generate a picture of a crowd of people swimming in the middle of winter. Um, and why is it? Why is it able to do that? And that's because the foundation is all exactly the same. It's a token, a single token, or many tokens with what's called, well, attractors, right? So if I say the word cat, what's the first thought that you have around the word cat? Those are called attractors. It could be a dog or it could be fur. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or, or with Fred, it would be a boot. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, <anyway>. Doug. <laughs> okay, so, so check this out. We'll go back to hallucinations for a minute. Guess what the number one word for 2023 was? Pretty amazing. The brand new word of the year. The Ooh, word of the word. year. This should have been the interesting fact of the yeah. week. Uh, <laughs> the word right. of the year for 2023. Yeah, for dictionary.com. Uh, well, 2023 was such a lackadaisical, not, yeah, not very much impressive happened. year. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you'll have to help us out. I don't know. Artificial intelligence. Yeah, the word of the year. Yeah, that, well, it is related to that. 
That, it is related to that, and believe it or not, it's our favorite word here at Real Science Radio. The very first word that comes to your mind when you talk about AI is hallucinate. <laughs> oh, that well, there you go. Hallucinate is the word of the year, huh? It, it sure is. It's for pretty last wild, year. right? Check. Okay. Wow. Yeah, for last year, 2023, right? And that's a 46% increase in dictionary lookups for hallucinate wow. from 2022 to 2023. And... It's pretty interesting. It's pretty obvious that it's coming from AI-specific, you know. So it's, clearing, it's not all the say. drug legalization going on. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So I forgot about that. It's probably a small percentage, right? you know? a small percentage <laughs> of that, but a larger percentage is AI. So. Yeah. And and listen, this is really important because when AI hallucinate, it's not only inaccurate, but it's completely fabricated and 100% full of confidence. Hmm. Yeah. That's a dangerous combination. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you supposed to do with that, right? I mean, to me, it's crazy. And, of course, fortunately, the people that actually study this in the real world, let's say, are like JAMA. They underscored the extent of the problem with hallucinations, ready for this, in healthcare. And they're saying that one specific example, I remember, is it generated over 10,000 words of misleading information within a database that doctors commonly query for healthcare requests. Oh. Right? And yeah, this isn't good, right? Uh, I mean, that, yeah, wow, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah, so it's an original and open investigation. It's called Health Informatics, right? And some of the articles are like accuracy and reliability of chatbot responses to physician questions, knowing they're wrong. And then health disinformation just flat out, gaining strength. And listen to this one, gaining strength and becoming infinite. Wait, so what? Huh? Infinite? So repeat that one. So what? what is it referring to again? So what they're saying is just imagine the more questions you ask, similar when you're dealing with ChatGPT, and you get a response back. And let's just say that 20% of the time it's wrong. Well, if you're always asking questions and then it's always 20% wrong, then that means that the amount of misinformation is infinite, right? I mean, it's 20% of infinite. <laughs> sure, of well, it, it's 20% wrong for as long as you keep asking questions, yeah. which theoretically, yeah. Yeah. wow. Exactly. And so exactly. these are, are, are you telling me that there are actually going to be doctors who rely on AI for actual medical information? Imagine that. I mean, I think you already know that there's other people that are willing to plagiarize from all kinds of different sources. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and by the way, just to go backward, to go forward, if I hadn't mentioned this before, do you know that the industry that I'm part of, you know, information security, data loss prevention, and all of that was all started based on one thing and one thing alone, and that was academic plagiarism. The whole point of doing data loss prevention was to detect when someone was plagiarizing. Yep. So huh. anyway, just a kind of a side note there. Well, that was back when plagiarism was a thing that needed to be solved. Yeah, right. Now it should be uh, venerated. And, <laughs> You're right. You know, now it just gets you the up, interview. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, the playground is a place where you can build your own models. And I've actually done that myself. A program that you access that's tied to AI? A playground. Yeah, yeah. So you have ChatGPT, right? And then if you're just a regular subscriber, in fact, if you're on Bing, 
or uh, a lot of the browsers now are popping up with these little, you know, like Copilot are, are going to pop up with these little AI generated content for you. Well, ChatGPT Playground is a place where you can build your own models, right? And then you can publish them. In fact, this week, for the first time in ChatGPT's history, uh, any of the models that you've made, you can make public and make money off of. Now, I don't probably won't make any money off of the ones that I built. In fact, one of them I want to talk to you about, I certainly won't because it doesn't work. And it doesn't matter what I do in order to get it to work. We'll come back to it. But yeah, in fact, this will be interesting because if you think about this playground that they built for the healthcare industry, you ready for this? It generated over 17,000 words of dense information about vaccines and vaping in just 65 minutes. Of oh, disinformation. Wow. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. and, you know, I was going to say, yeah, who's deciding to add to DIS? Who, who decides? Yeah, well, on? even they think that, right? So maybe it wouldn't even matter, like from our point of view, since we know at ChatGPT, I could probably try to convince it to support the fact that taking these vaccines, the experimental vaccines, is a bad thing. But then if I were pretending to be Dr. Fauci or something like that, I could probably get ChatGPT to write a perfectly great, great article about how important it is to take your fifth booster shot, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. or, I'm sorry, what, sixth Se or seventh, seventh now? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what time it is, I apologize. Wow, so we're gonna get into the playground and we're gonna get into what you've created, but for our radio audience, I think we're just about out of time if we're not already out of time, and I'm speaking out into the, the black ether on the radio here. But I want to thank you for being here. Daniel, we've got to have you back because I want to find out more about all this. So let's get together again very soon. Now, I want to remind our audience that it is Telethon Month. We are working to bring on a full-time, not artificial staff, but a real staff to help promote the Real Science Radio, the Dominic Enyart Show, Theology Thursday, the entire ministry that Bob Enyart left us with. We're working to hire a media team of real people to go out there and help us get the message in front of more people. We're trying to raise $25,000. I know at least one of you has already met 10% of that for this show because I called upon you to do so. But please, I know there's a couple more. You could do your 10%. The tithing is something that is pointed out in the Bible. It's just a great idea. It's not required, but it's certainly a nice standard. So please help us out. We're trying to raise $25,000. Daniel, we'll have you back very soon. Thank you, my brother. I look forward to it. This is fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got into the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there's so much yeah. to talk about, you know, <laughs> with artificial intelligence. I'd like to dive back into, you know, I've had friends tell me, oh, I can't wait till they do movies, and then they name their favorite dead actor. And I think some people actually think that, this is going to be new material from this person who's dead. And really, it's not. It's just tapping into information on the Internet and then creating some non-mental construct from what will seem like it's, you know, hey, here's Harrison Ford, 20, 30 years age in a whole new role. You That's know, right. Providing Bob Vineyard, maybe a new Bob Vineyard TV show. Well, it's not really... Of course, it's not really Bob Inyard. It's not really Harrison Ford and Star Wars again. But a lot of people, they're going to believe it. I, I, just knowing and dealing with people that we all have, 
Oh yeah, the War of the Worlds during was the fifties when War of the Worlds came out. Oh yeah, and yep. people literally were were calling the National Guard saying help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was actually the late thirties on radio. Orson Welles. Yeah. Oh, it was the late thirties. Okay, I recall. Okay, Orson Welles. Yeah, thanks for getting the dates right. Yeah, yeah no, that's fine. I was thinking fifties. Yeah, we'll flip it. We'll flip the coin. <laughs> so for Daniel Hedrick and Doug McBurney, I'm Fred Williams of Real Science Radio. May God bless you. Yeah.